Hello, I'm David Farrier. If it's one thing that binds all conspiracy theories together, it's secrecy. Because without secrecy, a conspiracy theory loses all its mystery and pizzazz. It goes from being a big-budget thriller starring Matt Damon to a Lifetime movie with some actor you've never heard of. Without secrecy, a conspiracy theory loses all its power and becomes a much more bland version of itself. And there's perhaps no greater example of this than with secret societies. Homer, a man who called himself you-know-who just invited you to a secret wink-wink at the you-know-what. You certainly are popular now that you're a stone cutter. Oh, yeah. As usual, The Simpsons has probably the best take on secret societies. And the fictitious stone cutters that Homer joins have all the hallmarks we've come to expect from any ancient fraternal order. Who controls the British crown? Who keeps the metric system down? We do. We do. They might as well be singing about the Freemasons, or the Illuminati, or the Knights Templar. Societies whose secrecy is probably their greatest magic trick. The question is, is it all showmanship? Or is there something to be said for the power they wield? There are secrets that George W. Bush guards at least as carefully as any entrusted to a president. Secrets he's forbidden to share even with the vice president. Secrets he's held ever since his days at Yale, where in his senior year, like his father and his grandfather, he belonged to Skull and Bones, the elite secret society whose members include some of the most powerful men of the 20th century. Is that because they're pulling the strings of the New World Order? Or is every secret society just a glorified man cave, but with more handshakes and probably some weird sex stuff thrown in? So, let's be like Joshua Jackson in the Skulls and get skeptical. You know, someone I loved once told me that if it's secret and elite, it can't be good. Or we can be like Tom Hanks in The Da Vinci Code, running down endless corridors, endlessly chasing monks. What are you talking about? You asked what would be worth killing for. Witness the biggest cover-up in human history. Or at the very least, you can witness the Secret Societies episode of Armchair and Dangerous. Take it away, Bob. episode today we're going to go right back in time into something like innocent and beautiful oh and well not that innocent and beautiful i think these are like better times i'm so excited <laughs> Ooh. i want to know why you're excited for this as well mm. you've got a connection or something no because she's in the babysitter's club she's also in the secret traveling pants of the sister it's because i love limited edition stuff. Yes, exclusivity. Right. Exclusivity. It's driven my whole life. Okay. I've been wanting this since you got here, since you arrived. David. Yeah, you've been bugging me for a secret <laughs> societies episode, <laughs> like mm-hmm. very, very into it. Yeah. What made you like this, do you think? Wanting exclusive things, secret things? Like, did you subscribe to one of those magazines as a kid where you got like a toy every week? A oh. secret my club? My parents would never of, have Or a decoder ring? Something like that? Mm. Yeah. What, what are you thinking? No, I think I felt not included. There we go. <laughs> so I really... Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I, mean, I was included. That was all in my head. I felt like I want to be 
in. I want to be popular. I want to be the one invited to things like my craft club. I was invited into a craft club. That's exciting. And it was. <laughs> yeah. It was exciting. I get the appeal. In, in primary school in New Zealand, I made up my own secret society with my friend Hamal. He's my only friend. And it was called, <laughs> and it was called um, The Bodyguards of Nature or Bon. Oh. And we would go around saving birds that had fallen out of trees. Okay. And I don't know why it needed to be a secret society, but I laminated two membership cards, one for me and one for Hamal. Oh, and it was very pure. And we Can had a secret I handshake. Join? I Look, Bodyguards of Nature, it's two members. I'll run it by him. Yeah, please. I, I have a fear of your secret society club. It's like declaring your secret society club the double rainbow chasers. Like, how frequently were you finding wounded birds? It's like the whole premise of your club and connection. Oh, do you think they actually. It's very fickle. Do you think they wounded birds? Oh, we, oh my God. Were you poisoning birds so you yeah, could we're, rescue we're them? Terrifying them out of their nests <laughs> the whole time. Touching their eggs so their mother would never return. <laughs> but I get the appeal. That's the appeal of conspiracies is like joining a club and being yes. part of things and like speaking of QAnon, that's one of the big appeals is you've got all the answers. And I think joining a secret society is the same thing. Yeah, mm. But it's weird now because, you know, we're living in the future. Something I was curious about researching this was like, how much of a deal is this today? And we'll get into that. But it does feel like a throwback to like, you remember the movie, The Skulls in 2000? I loved it. I want to watch it again so bad now Let's that you, watch it. Now that you it's say that. It's aged badly. It's, oh. I think it's 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that that's oh. the be all end all. Okay. Um, had Paul Walker in it, which I completely forgot. Rest yeah. in peace. He's in there. But, you know, that was obviously a riff on Skull and Bones. And it was not a good film. <laughs> but well, it was very thrilling in the year 2000. Not to hijack Monica's love for the exclusive club. I read, as every punk rock kid did in the 90s, I read Behold the Pale Horse. Have you read that book? I have read that book. Okay, yes. so it was very, very popular. It's a lot. Yeah. And it is basically a history of all secret organizations. What? So it's so weird it's that I would hear shit. all these, all yeah. these, like, I know what Knights Templar is. Mm -hmm. I know what the Masonic Order is. I know what the Illuminati is. All from that book. And I got to say, even as a, an 18-year-old reading it, it's so fascinating because the fantasy that there are like 12 evil geniuses controlling everything on Earth is like it files nicely into like a superhero fantasy. Like there's something yeah. appealing or about magic, it. magic, Harry Potter. But I have to say, even at 19, when I was reading it, I was like, this is fun, but this is horseshit. My father was a mason. <laughs> So let me mm -hmm. also own that. Mm -hmm. You've got to be skeptical of what you say now. Not to be a dick. I love my sweet father, rest in power. But if they let him in, I don't think the order was all that discerning, to okay. be honest. So there's another salesman at his dealership that got him roped into this mm -hmm. Mason mm -hmm. Club. And my mother claims, now again, let's take it with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She claims he came back late at night from one of the meetings and his whole chest was black and blue. What? And she said, what happened to you at this Masonic club meeting? And he never told her. And he's since passed, so we'll never know. But I'll, I'll have you know, I have his mason ring up in my dresser. Oh my in case it is God. true and they come to finally do whatever dastardly deed they're planning. Don the ring and you might be safe. Yeah. Is that what they're promising to like do something evil? The people that hate them think that they're controlling all this stuff, all for their empowerment, all for their enrichment, all for their perverted sense of control. Mm -hmm. When I was reading the book, I honestly was like, I kind of wish this was the case. Like, 
It's so I would exciting. feel more comforted to know that at least someone can control this insane five billion person experiment that in the 90s it was. I wish there were 12 educated human beings, Nobel Peace Prize winners. Let's put all 12 of them together and have them run this place. So I wasn't opposed to it. I just thought it was horseshit. Yeah, there is that really appealing idea that if we can blame the world's problems on this really simplistic thing like 12 men running the world yeah. or on QAnon, it gives us some level of comfort in knowing that, oh, the world makes sense now. It's just these evil people yes. like pushing us down. And again, it's back to these very biblical things all the time, good and evil. It's as simple as that, right? I don't think it's necessarily evil. I mean, it's definitely secret, but good people are in Skull and Bones and the skull is Joshua Jackson. Can I just say, this is was one of the most confusing topics <laughs> to get into of ever research. It's almost like the more you learn, the dumber you feel mm. because it's just so much ridiculous information around. And even Arthur Goldwag is the guy that I interviewed for this. Yeah. And he is a wonderful author and researcher and he loves cults and conspiracies mm. and secret societies. And so- Is he single? He, I, th I don't know. He okay. may well be. Like okay. the topics he's into, I don't know if he even has time for a relationship. So I talked to him. I'm going to sort of go through bits of our interview and we can kind of see where we go with this. Okay. It gets real weird. Oh, good. But he sort of began by talking about back in the early days, why this kind of stuff appeals. Going all the way back to the beginning of time, human beings would have life cycle events and initiations where the kids would have to go off and hunt something. You know, they'd have an ordeal in the wilderness. And then as religions mature, there's always been religion for the masses, for people that want to worship on Sundays. And there's ecstatic religion for people that want to experience God. There's mysticism. So there's these mystery cults. They didn't just worship idols. You know, they take drugs and they had sex cults. The reason they put all those rules in is because so many people, when they do this mystical stuff, they go crazy. When I wrote my book about Kabbalah, virtually every major Kabbalist realized that he was the Messiah after a couple years of it and just went completely insane. It's very dangerous. There's a reason that, that cult leaders go crazy. We started the conversation in a very broad way about the origins of like people coming together and wanting to be groups. And I guess before we had secret societies, we did have like religion and mysticism and people wanting to belong. And like religion went in one direction, which did end up feeding into secret societies. But then so too did like the mystical side, which was more anti-religion and more like we're on our own personal quest. Yeah, I guess he was describing what we would call an anthro. <laughs> that sounded so grody. What they call an anthro. <laughs> You know, rites of passage. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they can be extreme. If it could be the Maasai sending a kid out with a staff to fight a lion, you know, like that limits who's going to join this group. Yeah, well, some will die off, right? And never get there. Two things. Mm. One, going back to your dad. Oh, okay. I think it's really funny that there's this mystery around the black and blue body because he got in fights a lot. Well, he's a heavy drinker, you know. Well, you know. yeah. So, so the fact that it's like, <laughs> I wonder what happened. It's like, you probably got in a fight. Well, no, my mother claimed that the bruises were very weird and they were like long and lateral. Like as if he had been hit oh. with like boards or wet towels. It was a pattern. <gasps> yeah, like some implement. Like and generally if you get in a fight, you know, you're gonna show some wear on your face. That's what people are aiming for. Yeah, sure. They're probably not gonna hit you like a 
three dozen times in the chest. You just don't know. You don't know. That's right. I've not seen every kind of fight there is to be seen. Uh, but I'm glad we've piqued your interest. I'm deeply curious about that as well. You'll never fully know whether that That's was Should we call my mom right now? Oh, yeah. Actually, yes. Oh and while you're calling okay. her, I want to say, I mean, what's true is there are finals clubs. There are clubs at these colleges. Those are real, right? Oh, very real. I'm balancing two people I talked to in this episode, and I talked to another guy, Dr. Ian Smith, and he joined one of these clubs, and I talked to him about what that involves. So while I've got this really like- Hold on. Oh, here's mom. Uh-oh. Hold for mom. Hey, Jaxer. First of all, I'm so glad you answered that way. Um, <laughs> I have you on the air, and I'm telling the story because we're doing a conspiracy episode about Illuminati, secret societies. And I was telling Monica and David that dad had come home once from a, a Mason meeting. And I guess take it, take it from there if you are willing. He came home from his Mason initiation and he took off his clothes to go to bed and he was black and blue all over his body. And I asked him what what has happened? <laughs> what had happened was. Yeah, like, I, who the hell beat you up? Yeah. Anyway, he said he couldn't tell me. And that man told me everything. So it's David here. Do you think it was definitely from that initiation or had he gotten to a fight on the way home? No, he definitely was from the initiation. And he was severely dyslexic. So I had helped him with, they have to do all these kind of ritual where they have to say all these things and somebody says a particular line to you and then you answer back and it's all done in code in a book oh my with god just first letter to help you with the dialogue and he is dyslexic and you're not supposed to let anybody see this book but he showed me because he couldn't memorize it so i helped him memorize all the stuff and then he went and he was fine when he left. And when he came back, he was black and blue. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I guess you just gave up at some point asking him. I did because he, he absolutely would not budge on it. I said, well, what happened at the initiation? What did you do? Can't tell you. Can't talk about it. Oh, my God. And never did. <laughs> okay. And that is the rarest thing with him. Yeah. Yeah. He's got loose lips. He sank some ships. Was there any other times that were, like, strange just the handshake thing. When he would meet with other people or like I noticed, now I don't know this because this is my assumption, but every time he met with other Masons that were new, he like, say you saw in a car to somebody, you noticed they had a Mason ring. He would say, I see you travel in the East. <gasps> oh my God, mom. Oh he would God. say, I see you travel in the East? Yes. Oh That's my. the only other thing that I noticed. Oh, my wow. was all Was all this, like, a bit of a turn-on, like, quite cool? Yeah, did you think this was cool, or were you like, this is 12-year-olds playing Dungeons & Dragons? I actually thought it was cool. Yeah. I, I did. I don't know why. <laughs> oh. But not cool enough for me to join the uh, Eastern Star, because, you know, they have the Eastern Star for the women. No, Wait, I what? didn't know that. Okay, oh there's rainbow girls for the young ladies that are teenagers, <laughs> and there's Demolay for the boys, and then for men, it's the Masons, and women, it's Eastern Star. And and I've been to the uh, rainbow girls. I had a girlfriend that used to bring me. It's very ritualistic. They have a way that they 
walk down certain columns like it's a big square room with seats around it that are like judge seats and at different heights and there's people with different positions that sit in different things like handmaid's tail yes and when you walk into the room like you only walk the perimeter and you walk in a certain way and there's a certain person that has a job to lead you it's a crazy bizarre thing and i i asked my mom and dad because they had fun events so I asked my mom and dad if I could join Rainbow Girls, and my dad said, no, you're Catholic, you can't join. Wait, wait, so, wait. Could you have opted in, or do you have to get invited? Well, my girlfriend invited me, oh. so I was invited, and I don't know the answer to that, but I was invited. <laughs> let me, because I was Catholic, and my dad said Catholics can't join, mm. and my dad was fourth degree Knights of Columbus, so... Mom, you have over-delivered in a, such an amazing way. Thank you for answering. I think they were maybe imagining I had made this up, as you would guess, that he came home black and blue. But I'm so oh, no. grateful. He you... was beat. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, his chest, his chest and his back and his arms were black and blue and like purple. A blueberry. Oh, my God. Okay, oh, yeah. I love you so much. Thanks for telling that story. That yeah, thank was so you. great. Thank you, Gaga. I love you to pieces. All right, bye. bye. Oh, my God. Your mom so, is incredible. She is yeah, the most incredible woman. Her memory is so fucking insane. Like, the fact that she remembered all the different order of, know. you know. And I, rainbow girls and demulets. But, guys, we got to circle back yeah, that, to what I said. legit. Do you remember what I said originally? I said, I don't want to offend my dad, but the notion that they let him in makes me think the, it's not that impressive. And we just found out he cheated, and he had my mom read Learning it. Learning everything. Yeah. And, and so I kind of, that kind of proved exactly what I was saying. Like, yeah. you weren't supposed to have your wife teach you no. the fucking You weren't supposed to the show them that book. No. Oh, my God. Oh, oh wow. That, it's a really fascinating insight into that entire <laughs> world. Oh, I mean, wow. the, the Freemasons' whole thing, right? They're basing everything on these symbols found in Middle Ages stonemasonry, right? So, like, the stonemasons... They're teaching how to like make rock objects and whittle things away and whatever the words are when you work with rock. I have no idea. <laughs> sure. But they had different like levels within well, um, it's a that very profession. Ma- mathematically heavy discipline. Oh, very like, incredible. Yeah. And yeah. so the Freemasons took all those ideas and like those levels and then made them more like mm. philosophical. So they're not actually in there like learning how to like build a big building, but they're using the same like language and symbolism and smarts. And just applying it in a more philosophical way, plus some secret handshakes. Well, what is convincing about Behold the Pale Horse is, assuming they have it correct. It is a mad book. I mean, that's like one of the most conspiratorially crazy books ever. It's like got some like good stuff and some of like the worst stuff ever in there. Yeah, I think it even dips into some anti-Semitic stuff, of course. It's pretty anti-Semitic. Oh, wait, the book is or it's... Beyond a Pale Horse. It's like the conspiracy go-to for like stoned college students. It's like a real trip. It's kind of like the anarchist cookbook. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's in that world. It's it's deeply anti-Semitic and strange. Yeah, Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. What is compelling is they list all these presidents, right? And there is a tremendous yeah. rate of membership. Oh, George Washington was, Benjamin Franklin. These are Masons, Roosevelt, right? yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yes, yeah. that's John where, Wayne, Buzz Aldrin. They're all Freemasons. American See, heroes. That means something. My father was an American hero. 
Look at the group he was in. I mean, seriously. Something, though, that your mum said rings very true, and that is Masons and Catholics are, like, diametrically opposed. And Freemasons will take anyone. They're like, any god you worship, anything, you just need to believe in, like, a higher power will have you. Ah. Catholics are like, there's no way you're going to become a Freemason. Arthur Goldwag explained this to me. Yeah, America's a racist country and all that, but America's founded as an anti-Catholic country. The Puritans were scared of Satan. They were even more scared of the Catholics. And the reason that so much conspiracy theory sounds the same is because it all comes from these anti-Catholic books that were written in the 1700s and the 1600s. It's a product of the Reformation. The Masons are a product of the Reformation. It's finally possible for people to have ideas and explore ideas and meet in a context that isn't controlled by the church. And they're members of the new middle class. They're not aristocrats. They're business people and lawyers and policemen, constables. They're this rising middle class. They're not Catholic. Heretical stuff, sure. We're interested in it. In fact, we're going to create a mythology for ourselves where we're descended from the Knights Templar. So that's where, like, the Freemasonry thing popped up as, like, a wonderful alternative and pushback towards Catholicism. Uh-huh, that yeah. That is interesting. That makes sense. People just want to be in groups. They want to be in groups. They want to be in clubs. These finals clubs. Yeah, let's get to these final <laughs> clubs. Yeah, yeah. Finals clubs, they are like a, a mini Freemasonry group. Yeah. Right? Yeah, And completely. they do let's get to have it. powerful people. Who know each other, meet each other, bring each other up. I don't think anyone would argue whether or not it's great networking. I think that's obvious from all these groups. But the question is, do they have their hands on the levers of power? And is there some consensus on what they're going to do to change the world? That's the whole thing. And like, yeah. if you look at it with a conspiratorial mindset, you go, holy crap, we've had presidents who are members of Skull and Bones. Exactly. Like, you know, the early days of the CIA, those were Skull and Bones people. Yeah. You know, you had the presidential race between like John Kerry and George Bush. They were both Skull and Bones. You had like a Skull and Bones against a Skull and Bones. Oh my God. And so how can that club not have some kind of incredible access to like creating game-changing, world-bending leaders. Yeah. The other side of that is these clubs are like for privileged rich white guys to join. Yeah. And of course, they're going to end up in positions of power and privilege. That's the whole thing. And it's the same with Freemasons. It's like people join who are like have a certain standing in the community. They're probably going to end up doing quite well. Ian Smith is the other guy I spoke to for this. He's a doctor. He's really smart. Mm. He's written a book about his days in secret societies, but sort of dramatized so he can sort of get some of the secrets out. Mm. But he had a tie into something you're interested in, which we'll get to. He's pointing at Monica. But I just wanted to sort of begin with his story of getting into this world, because I think that's what you're into, Monica. Mm -hmm. So have a bit of this. I think you'd like Ian. When I was an undergrad, I was a sophomore in college. One night, someone slipped an envelope under my door. I opened it up the next morning and it said I was invited to this cocktail party that was being put on by this club. And I come from a very blue collar background. I had no idea what a cocktail party was. And so it wasn't until I was in basketball practice and the guys were talking and they started mentioning that it was punch season. And lo and behold, it was an invitation to the initial event of the rounds of events to this secret society. And then they mentioned the name of this club. It's called Delphic. 
these clubs have these huge mansions in and around Harvard Square that are their clubhouses. And no one can go into the clubhouses except for members. The more I learned about the clubs, the more intrigued I became and thus began my foray into Harvard's oldest secret societies. So that's Dr. Ian Smith. He oh loves this stuff. Oh my God. I are you love intrigued? him. I love him. Monica has now two toothpicks in. Like, that's how you can gauge her. Like, she's trying to get through this so, without exploding. So, so Your fucking Ian, pants might disintegrate again. They like, might. Would, yeah. So Ian went to Harvard. Yale is where Skull and Bones is. So he's in, like, a similar thing to Skull and Bones, but at Harvard. Do you think he might get in trouble? I said this to him. He reckons he's okay talking about this. Okay. Um, and it's not as secretive as Skull and Bones, so I think he can get away with it. Okay. By the but way, I am going to check in with him after this goes to air and make sure he's still alive. Can I just ask, is there any difference between this and Harvard Lampoon? Fraternity? Oh. Harvard Lampoon. Like, you can, you can only go in there if you're a member of the Lampoon. Mm -hmm. There's a room no one can go in. Like, it's weird where we draw the line. But they talk about their time there. Like, it's not secret. Yeah. It's yeah. exclusive, but it's not secret. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, Skull and Bones is a lot more secretive. Like, they, members will not openly talk about that stuff. I yeah. tried to find someone from Skull and Bones, and, like, <sighs> there was no mention of it. I mean, this was a thing started in, I think, 1832. William Russell, he'd been over to Germany. He got the idea. He came back. He started wow. this club. It was, there was no woman. There were no gay men. It was just men who were, like, cis, straight, white Well, they were gay it men. Was, they just weren't. They just weren't. <laughs> That's openly. true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, they brought in all the symbolism into Skull and Bones, and it's all the really exciting stuff. So they, as part of the initiation, like, they'll lie in a coffin. Um, there's skulls everywhere. They'll drink out of skulls. Um, they've got, like, secret numbers, death imageries everywhere. <sighs> and the idea of that death imagery is basically to remind them that life is short and you have to, like, make the most of it before you die. That's, like, their main little thing. So it's actually quite an inspiring. You know what's really cute about all this is just humans want there to be more. They want there to be something enchanted. They want these symbols that might have a power. Like, we just all desire some kind of crazy transcendence. I think it's cute. I believe it. It is cute. The uncute thing about Skull and Bones or their Skull and Bones obsession is that Allegedly, George W. Bush's grandfather, Prescott, went and stole Geronimo's skull from his grave. Oh. Uh, which is <laughs> Wait, deep. What? Yeah, really? so, so oh, Geronim boy. Geronimo's skull allegedly sits in the clubhouse. Descendants of Geronimo actually attempted to take skull and bones to court to get the skull back. Oh, oh my gosh. My God. They mediated this meeting. Skull and Bones bought a skull along. It was tested. It wasn't Geronimo's skull. But, of course, the argument is if they had Geronimo's skull, they probably wouldn't bring that skull to yeah. the meeting. They would have just swapped it out. Yeah. So the story goes that um, George W. Bush's grandfather was the one that stole Geronimo's skull, and it still sits in the club room to this day. That's the rumor. That's the rumor. Do we know what club the other presidents have been in? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but they definitely have been in different clubs because they are all like privileged, largely yeah. white men. Like, I wonder what the percentage. There's is more of the from presidents. Skull and Bones. Like, most of them have been generated from Skull Which and Bones. Which is at Yale. Yeah. So you'd have to have gone there. This is Dr. Ian Smith, your favorite. Oh, my favorite. This was his initiation ceremony. The season at which you try to join is called punching season. And the person who is being asked to possibly join is called a punchy. There are no fraternities at Harvard. So there are multiple clubs. And when the season kicks off, 
there are different rounds. The first round for every club is a cocktail party. And you can get invited to more than one club. And so what happens is after each round is over, then the clubs vote on who they want to keep and who they're cutting. And so it keeps whittling down event by event by event until you get to what's called the final dinner. And the final dinner is whoever makes the acceptance, typically about 12 to 15 guys. And then the evening ends in the clubhouse. So you're finally, after three months or so, you're finally brought up into the clubhouse. They take your blindfold off and you actually get to see the innards of these mansions. And part of our ceremony was in this room, blindfolded with torches, stepping up on a table in front of a fireplace. I'll never, I still feel it, that heat of that fireplace. And an older alum, the alums are very active in these clubs. The older alum reading from a book that I had to take an oath in and sign my name. And you feel special because on the walls are all these old pictures back to the 1800s of guys who were sitting in the same seats that we were sitting in, in the same lobby, this elite mansion, sitting there with Rockefeller's heirs and stuff like that. It's amazing. So you do feel special because you're part of the club. I did quiz him about like what some of the secret things were that they had to do, and he wouldn't tell me. <gasps> he sounds African-American. He is, yeah. We, yeah. No, we did talk about that as well, because he came in when they were much more liberal and they did let in people that weren't just white straight men. Yeah, there's another layer for him. Oh, there absolutely is. We talked at length about how that was a conflict for him because he'd be hanging out with some of his friends and they'd be like, hey, I'm joining this like this yeah. like largely like white club full of white things and should I do this or should I not do that? So that was a whole other thing yeah. running oh, through his wow. mind. I mean, it was only, I think, in, like, 92 that Skull and Bones eased up and, like, started letting women in. And still, like, the old boys there were, like, angry at that. Like, they were not happy. Oh, I didn't know they even did. They do now. Yeah, much more open, much more liberal. Um, they have somewhat moved with the times, but still incredibly secretive. There's this poem I really liked that I wrote down. It was from 1934 from like a uh, campus magazine that hated Skull and Bones. So like, this is so stupid. And I think this kind of sums up the whole vibe. Perhaps someday, if I am good, I may be that of the Brotherhood. There is something grand about a club, so few can join. There's the rub. Oh Lord, I pray they let me be a god in such society. For though I know not what they do, I greatly want to do it too. Mm. Oh, I think poem. that kind of like kind of sums shivers. it all up, you know? Yeah. It really does. What's really funny is what he said as a throwaway, but is interesting, is there aren't fraternities at Harvard. There's only this. So I went to a big state school that had tons of fraternities, which is the same, just without the power, <laughs> yeah. without the secretness. And in New Zealand, we don't have any of this. So it was really weird even learning about this because we don't have fraternities or societies or anything. So I was trying to figure out like what really is the difference between a fraternity and a secret society and one of the more hardcore secret societies like yeah. Skull and Bones. It's all kind of silly to me. We definitely have interviewed someone who's in Skull and Bones for certain. Or the Redwood Club. Do you know this one? Uh-uh. They list all the presidents and stuff that have been there and they have these big meetings in a big circle of redwood trees and there's a redwood cut down and laid on it. Bohemian Club? Yeah, we go. Bohemian uh, Club. Bohemian Club. I've never Club. heard of it. Well, Dr. Ian also sort of talked about what you talked about earlier is about there being like important people in these clubs and how they run the world. And he mentioned a name, Monica, that I think you will enjoy. 
I think what was surprising, because I was not of that world, I didn't realize how deep the connections. When people talk about the old boys club, it's classic old boys club. You know, their parents were classmates in law school or undergrad. They belong to the same clubs. They winter in Florida. They flew private planes to islands. I mean, the degree of wealth and connectedness I had never imagined. For example, Matt Damon, the great actor, was in my club. I actually brought Matt Damon into my club. Get out of town. Yeah, absolutely. And Matt took me to one of his first movies that was filming in Massachusetts. These clubs are yet another network for people to be able to call up old friends. I'm at the age now where my friends and clubmates are kind of running the show, whether it's Hollywood or business or medicine. So if I wanted to, I could call up different people and say, hey, help me out here. Can you make an introduction? Or my kid's trying to do something. Can you help out? Even though those clubs have changed dramatically, what hasn't changed is that there are different types of social, business, political clubs that keep other people out. And that was a good training ground for me to understand that the world is not 100% meritocratic. It's not just based on merits. It's not based on how hard you work. It's not based on how good you are. A lot of it, unfortunately, is based on who you know and what their connections are. I got to call a timeout. As a cynical human, if I was listening to this episode, I mm -hmm. would say, bullshit. They knew they were calling Dax's mom from the get-go, right? And then I would uh -huh. say, oh, bullshit. Monica literally said, I bet we've interviewed some of these people. And then you played a fucking clip with Matt Damon. Yeah, you're like, I bet it's going to be Matt if Damon. I, if I was in the audience of the show, I'd be like, oh, bullshit. This whole thing's been fucking scripted I... from page yeah, one. Yeah, from Hollywood, right? Yes, Run from our, our Hollywood bigwigs. Because we're all actually part of part of this hundred percent and like wait i missed half of what he said <laughs> after the matt damon part well also mm. he, that he took him to the set of likely <laughs> school ties or your movie goodwill Good hunting been, i'm thinking it was goodwill hunting yeah. i can't he's bet he, okay you know matt damon needs to thank him for his he rise in hollywood in. he brought him in yeah oh my god this is oh also i know everything i feel like he's everything gonna... about matt damon you knew and you... that is new information yeah. dr oh ian smith brought him into his uh secret oh my I'm god so, i feel society. so excited and so scared yeah there's a lot happening right now it gets intense he, he's about david's about to play a clip where i'm named as oh one of the god. presidents of the i'm so scared the dyslexic club of america <laughs> And like what we're talking about, like the influence of these clubs and what they did, that's the big thing, right? It's like, are these just groups of men who are like getting together and like bonding and yeah. swapping their stories? And feeling or, unique, uh, yeah. their, their status has gone up because they're in something and other people exactly. aren't. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're part of something. Or is there like much darker stuff going on? Yeah. And this is what I talked to Arthur Goldwag about, said like, hey, how bad did this stuff get and like, should we actually be worried? In the 1700s, people talked about the Hellfire Club in London. And it was these very rich, prominent, super educated, successful, worldly people, people in politics, people in business, people in the aristocracy. Benjamin Franklin was supposed to be a member and they met and they fornicated and they drank and they took drugs was called the Hellfire Club. I would have thought 20 years ago that these are probably exaggerated stories, 
but that was before the Jeffrey Epstein stuff happened. The Skull and Bones, one of millions of secret societies and universities, but a very well-known one because its members are so successful. Their headquarters building is called the Tomb. It does have skulls on the wall from all accounts. They do have a thing where they drink out of skulls. Who runs the world? It's not the members of the local Rotary Club or the Kiwanis Club. It is kind of the guys in Skull and Bones, but it's not because they were taught the secrets of world leading. They got into the Skull and Bones because they were going to rule the world, because they're rich, because they're connected. And so you can be an evil CIA operative or a corrupt president of the United States, and you can be doing terrible things in the world. It's not because you're a Satanist, it's because you're a master of the universe and you act like a master of the universe. I had a thought mm. the previous interview, when I heard about the punch session, what I immediately thought of is like, I would never get into one of those clubs, even if I tried, because I'm not subservient enough and I don't follow orders well. So now what my fear is, is the people that make it in there are actually kind of subservient people who mm. are going to not be contradictory of any common belief system, yet they are rich and powerful. And it's like people that are not free thinkers, yeah, yet they combo. do have a lot of power. Don't. Yeah. Including Matt Talk Damon. Talk about my boyfriend <laughs> like that. I, I didn't realize he was such a subservient. No, these yeah. people are ruling the world. They're not subservient. I think if you go to that mixer and you're me and I'm fucking loud and trying to get attention, the guy's like, Bentley's the best car. I'm like, those things are fucking pieces of shit, blah, blah. I just know. This is why I got kicked out of the groundlings. I can't go and bow to the fucking alpha there. Uh, right. I, but I wonder how many alphas there are if it is like that where there's just like one leader because you, cause you're able to do AA. But there's no leaders. That's, the, that's a whole reason I'm able to do AA is there's no hierarchy. But, I don't have to honor anyone there. I mean, there's definitely a hierarchy, mm. but it probably isn't like this is the leader. So I bet there's someone there that you respect. They're definitely pulling from the people that they think are most bought into the idea, that are mm. going to go along with the program, that aren't going to ruffle everyone's feathers. I don't think they're looking yeah. for people who are It's, it's not diversity central. Is no. And yeah. there. And so that that does scare me a little bit, that you don't have any person that would go like, well, hold on a second. This seems a little crazy. No black folks can come in? You know, like, right. and hence why it took 200 years probably to get some, you know, I don't know. Might be selecting for a dangerous thing, assuming the person also has power. And money. Yeah. yeah. Always money. Think of everything like the Knights Templar, you know, the Pope's private army. They were the ones responsible for moving money around the world. That was what gave them their power. And, you know, that's why they've become such this legendary thing. And they're rumored to still exist today and to have like secret Masonic bloodlines and all sorts of crazy shit. In Behold the Pale Horse, they say that they have the Holy Grail. They have the yeah. Ark of the Covenant. Like they think they have all these really powerful yeah, hidden, You know, there's artifacts. lots of like talk of hidden treasure and that kind of thing. And like money comes into this so much. I mean, you think about secret societies were the reason we have insurance. The Odd Fellows were a secret society and they had a thing where they would all pull in a bit of money so that if one of them died, they could give them a really good funeral. Oh, that's where it started. And oh. that's where like life insurance and like funeral insurance started. The Woodman Insurance Company, that came from a secret society called the Woodsman that started in 1890. And they did the same thing. They pulled all their money in to help each other out. Sweet. I have a question about Ian. <laughs> but for real, did, yeah. is he, mm -hmm. so he 
He's a member. Yeah, he is currently, I mean, I guess you're always one, right? You're a member for life. It never goes away. And he didn't leave. Still there. He doesn't sound very active, though, is my hunch, that he's not quite active in it because he probably wouldn't be talking about it if he was still active. No, and again, he's much less secretive. You wouldn't get a Skull and Bones member talking as openly as he was talking. And naming other members. Right, exactly. No. This is surprising. He did go a bit rogue, I think, in our interview. <laughs> yeah, even in AA, I can't tell you who else is in there. And yeah. there's not even anyone to slash I, me about the chest and back. I can't believe, Matt. Oh I can't God. believe. All the more reason. Every time I look at that picture him. now, you're right. That's yeah. just going to bring us closer together. Well, also, like, once you penetrate that love bubble, you might find out He'll all this shit. He'll tell me the secrets. Although, yep. if my father kept his mouth quiet, I bet Matt Damon has the resolve to keep his mouth. I just love mouth. how much goss your mom has about everything. You should always have her on the top of your list to interview at all, at any topic. <laughs> She's incredible. I want to paint what I think common perception of these things is. So, I think in general, People are pretty favorable to the notion that there is some group of powerful people running the world because I went to this conference and because the conference had some famous intellectuals, some government people, I jokingly called it the Illuminati. So did Hassan. And you're not allowed to say who's there. You're not allowed to say where it is. I jokingly have called it the Illuminati thing a few times. So my mom, I was parallel parking. She was just visiting. And I said, well, yeah, funny enough, at that Illuminati thing, I met Hassan and how we got along really well, blah, blah. And she goes, oh, wow. So it really was the Illuminati, huh? And I was like, no, mom, there's no fucking Illuminati. Like, I was shocked. And my mom's very rational and normal. And it seemed plausible to her that I had actually joined the real Illuminati. And then I just thought, oh, well, baseline level must be pretty accepting of this notion. I think it's plausible that it exists. You do? I don't think you're in it. (laughs) Well, I mean... Illuminati that have me as a <laughs> shitty Illuminati. No, because you just told us already, Hassan. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you're yeah. like Ian. You're well, just spitting your mouth. I'm saying Hassan because <laughs> I know Hassan talks about it. I'm actually right. not saying the other people because I do respect people's, if they have a desire to not be put on blast on a fucking podcast, yeah. about something, mm. I respect that. Mm. Right, but I just—I'll tell you off the air. Every yeah. single person that was there, the the more the more I see, and they didn't want me because I was too contrarian. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, ex presidents hang out with other ex presidents, right? Like yes. billionaires hang out with billionaires. So there's an unwritten secret society that all these people belong to anyway. Arthur said we are all being set on by the rich and powerful. That's just the way society works it's great to put a label on it this is the illuminati or this is the freemasons but it's just reality like the billionaires are gonna like sit on us and there's not much we can do about it and they all hang out it's all just to what degree yes billionaires have more sway over the government they have lobbyists this is Mm. true epstein was able to evade the law for a while with all of his resources all very Mm. true but i don't know how you have that low of a estimation of humanity and then also a really high estimation of humanity which is somehow five or 12 of these people are calling all the shots i don't think anyone's that competent that's going to persuade bill gates to step in line or to persuade fucking elon musk to get on board there's too many variables it's it's the same variable that where you think you can plant explosives in the twin towers right it's the same thing we're not that smart and that together to be able to do that. I agree. Like we're too yeah. complex and there's too many variables. If ever there was a concerted effort with the full might of the most wealthiest country in the world, it was the pursuit of Osama bin Laden. 
Mm-hmm. And that took years and years and years. And up to the point where they're storming a little fucking shitty house in Pakistan with Blackhawks, all the support, Navy SEALs, best in the world. And that's still a dicey scenario. And it's gone wrong. Yeah. Many other times we've done the same thing. So you must look at that situation and go, okay, that's the full might of the strongest fucking institution in modern times. Mm-hmm. Worrying about going in with six dipsticks in Osama bin Laden that's on dialysis. The full capability of us humans is not as great as we would want it to be right. to make these stories mm-hmm. make that's sense. True. The last question I put to Arthur Goldwag was, what is the biggest secret society? What's the one we need to be worried about? Because I think that's what we're all thinking, right? It's like, is there anything to be worried about? Who needs to be investigated? Yeah, he had two answers. Who would you say across history was the most powerful secret society that's ever existed? It's an interesting question. Um, I have a glib answer. The most successful secret society must be the one that you've never heard of. But most of the epochal events, the hinge events in history, the tipping point may be sudden, but the buildup to it goes on for a long time. The rise of capitalism and the death of feudalism, the Renaissance is a transition period. I would say that in our post-Enlightenment 20th century world, the Masons really are a powerful group. But it's not because they're Masons, it's because of the kinds of people that joined the Masons became the most powerful people in the world. So that's my lame answer. Now, to your point, if it requires a type of acquiescence, and then they are also very powerful, maybe it means in order to be powerful, you have to have some of that. I mean, you're pretty powerful, but... Well, mm. thank you. You mean in the Black Mold Gym, particularly? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading Mike Schur's book right now, and now I'm thinking he might be in that secret society too. Yeah. He probably is. But I'm reading his book, and it's about philosophy, and I'm on this Aristotle section, and you know he has virtues that he lists, and you have to have the right amount and this and that, but one of them is willingness to step back. Mm, like a humility thing? Yeah, 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 ish. And it's interesting. I'm glad you just brought that up, because while I was listening to this, I had a moment of like, and maybe I'm dead wrong. Maybe the mm-hmm. people that go to the G7 summit have another club that they're in. And really that everything that is announced publicly had already been brokered privately. And maybe it's all grandstanding. I'm just having enough humility to go like, maybe there's more going on than I think. I'll find out once yeah. Matt Damon and I. I guess, how we about, don't can, know. can I propose something really dicey? I, okay. If 12 people were smart enough to take over control of the entire planet, And you look at what their motives must be. It doesn't benefit them to kill everyone Mm because they need customers. It does not going to benefit them if the whole planet burns down. Right. Assuming these 12 people have similar motivations and desires as I do as a human, maybe the people that rose to being the 12 smartest people in the world should be making all the decisions. Yeah, I'm kind of okay with it. Yeah, there's part of me that's like, unless you believe in good and evil, which I don't, this binary biblical bullshit – And let's just assume they're human beings that want their kids to inherit a planet that's worth inheriting. And they've somehow figured out how to get the fucking reins over 130 countries and 7 billion people in a quadrillion dollar economy. Maybe they should be making the decisions. 
Yeah, it's smart if they've gotten to that point. I'd look at like the state that the planet's in and yeah, how we're doing and going, right maybe going those great. people like shouldn't be the ones <laughs> running things because our planet is kind of screwed. Yeah. You yeah. know, there is that. The data doesn't support and, you know, that they're doing I, a great job. You know, I, I take it back to like the, what you hear about skull and bones. This is idea that they've generated presidents and they're this incredible group of powerful people. Then you get someone like Ron Rosenbaum. He's this journalist who in 2001 climbed up onto the roof and looked down into the skull and bones back lot and watched one of their initiations. And there's video of this. He took a night vision camera up there and this is like very new technology at the time. And, you know, it was, to be honest, kind of juvenile. It's like watching a bad theater performance. There's bad jokes. They're wearing stuff. There's like a fake sacrifice of someone. It's all just kind of stupid. Then the rumors <laughs> that came out after that, again, were like, maybe that was just them putting on a diversion and they were trying to look lame <gasps> because they knew he was out there looking down. And of course they knew he was there. And that's why it was so stupid. But so let again, like there's two you points from this. Convince people you can't win. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what, you know, I would argue that it probably was legit and these clubs are just kind of silly ways for like boys to bond and some of those boys go and become presidents and some of them do a good job and some of them do a really juvenile job yeah and i guess the truth is if you're at yale the chance of you becoming president is higher than at another college so already yeah it's yeah. up there you're starting on the 80 yard line yeah. for sure it does make me think of a friend of ours who joined this golf club, mostly so he can hang with the president of the studio because he had a movie that was <laughs> teetering on getting greenlit. Mm -hmm. He called me to tell me about like what the thing is all about. He goes, listen, man, this place is just a male paradise. The women aren't allowed like in half of the property. Oh it's just for guys that come in there and fucking gamble and smoke cigars and be away from their families. That's what this thing is. And I do just think all these things are yeah. that, you know, in some weird way. I think you're completely on point. Yeah. 100%. They're 12-year-olds. They're playing secret society. I mean, this may not relate to this episode entirely, but like one other thing that Arthur said that I thought was kind of interesting, because I was surprised that he was saying that very early on it was anti-Catholic sentiment that drove a lot of this stuff through. Well, you forget the people and, on the Mayflower were leaving religious persecution, right? They're just all absolutely. Yeah. And so I was saying to him, my sort of take on all this was everything was anti-Semitic. That's what drives all this stuff. So I was like, when did it kind of swap from like anti-Catholic sentiment <laughs> to like that sentiment and the conspiracy movement? And he had this point, and I just think it's kind of interesting. I feel like a lot of the conspiracy theories are so anti-Semitic and anti-anyone Jewish. It feels like a lot of the secret societies did come out of this whole anti-Catholic movement. That's really interesting because I'll tell you about the anti-Jewish stuff. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion is published in 1901 or 1902. It's kind of a private publication for the Tsar. The Russian secret police put it together by cutting and pasting from an anti-Semitic novel and from an anti-Mason tract and from some stuff that was basically plagiarized from anti-Catholic stuff. It gets translated into English after World War One. It also gets revised so that it predicts World War One. And the stuff about World War One is written after the war, so it's pretty accurate. And then Henry Ford, the car mogul, falls in love with it. He starts a newspaper that when you buy a Ford, you get a free subscription to it. 
and he reprints the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Ford was monstrously anti-Semitic, and he was tremendously influential. And he recruited a lot of white Russians for his organization. They ran security for him. He was thinking of running for president at one point. Hitler loved him. Hitler kept a portrait of Ford in his office. It's wild because you grow up as an American school kid and they don't teach you about what a monster Ford was. They just don't. Quite a weird place to go at the end of the episode, but I think it is really interesting how all this stuff swirls together, like the anti-Catholic stuff goes in the anti-Semitic stuff, suddenly like Ford's loving it and republishing it, Hitler loves him. All these bad ideas just spread like wildfire and, and it's all awful. they're just adopted from old bad ideas yeah. and all bad ideas. It's all it's just all gets just recycled. Yeah, endlessly, endlessly recycled and as is all the current conspiracy theory thinking. Yeah. It's, there's nothing new. These are all just old ideas reborn with new enemies in their sights. You know, the sad part is really it just represents ultimately a lack of creativity. It's like if yeah. you like a TV show yeah. and, and it's on for seven years, you're going to see all the same things. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I was on Parenthood and I would kind of go like, I get the script. I'm like, oh, right. Of course that We're doing this thing. Like, I'm going to yeah. cheat on her. This is going to be, you know, like, these are the tropes. These are the human yeah. fo fo foibles, fo follies. Fo uh-huh. We like repetition and yeah. we're doing the same stuff. We're forming clubs back when like humans first learned to communicate and we're still doing it now, and we're still trying to find enemies and things to hate, and that's what we do. There's no way I'm going to crack the seed of anti-Semitism that runs through so many people, but an element has to be that they were the only competitive group you could have identified, where they were professional, they were communal, they worked uh, with each other, they became highly educated. They were the competitive threat to that old boys' network. I'm just curious what the origin is. Too also, scared to touch? I also don't know. Yeah, I feel I almost can't. I mean, I, it's all so irritating to me and so stupid. Well, for people that don't know, there is this interesting history with Jewish folks, which is Catholics weren't allowed to lend money forever. So you couldn't have a bank, right? So they forced Jewish people into money lending in a lot of these European countries. And then they came to be associated with greed. But this is something that the Catholics wouldn't do and they forced them to do. And yet it becomes the fuel for their hatred towards them. Rewind to like the Knights Templar. They were the Pope's private army. They were moving money all around. They essentially started banking. The Catholics ended up turning on them and had them all hung. That's the end of the Knights Templar? Yeah, I think one person in particular had some loan that they didn't want to pay back and suddenly made up these stories that the Knights Templar were homosexual and were spitting on the cross and suddenly had them all hung. And so that didn't go well for them either. That happens now. People are coming in. They're taking our jobs or this. It's always that, this fear of losing power. Mm -hmm. Status, power, So make money, up a powerful group and breeding, go after them. Breeding access. Mm. So weird. Well, I'm so grateful for this episode. I learned so much. We got to talk to your mom. What a fucking pop-out. We've had a lot of pop-outs. So many. In the last four years. That was the apex pop-out for you. I can't believe it. I can't believe your wardrobe didn't explode off. That was fun. Look at him. Let's look at this little secret look society this. motherfucker. Oh, look at this little oh my guy. God, with that big smile. Oh, that knowing smile. Big secretive smile. <laughs> 
Oh, wow. wow. We got to have him back in now. A hundred percent. Yeah. You have questions. Yeah. I have oh. so many questions. First of all, why didn't he tell us? I feel hurt. Why isn't he controlling the world more? I trust he's his doing, opinion on shit. He's doing a good job. He's doing his best. He, yeah, I know. But he just controls like, me. Talk to the board. And I control other people. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Trickle down economics. <laughs> I love you guys. Right. That love was you. fun. And fuck, maybe we need to form a secret society of our own. Yeah, I want your mom to be involved. Yeah, yeah clearly. She's in charge of the mythology. She's yeah, very creative. The lore. the lore. I would like yeah, that. The Laura LeBeau lore. <laughs> 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 Laura Louise LeBeau lore. All right, I love you Goodbye. guys. Bye. Bye.